0: Another glass. Where are you going?
1: Well, who knows? Another neighborhood, another town, another job. I'm on my own. That's funny, so am I. What'd you do with the cards? In there. You send him a fruitcake every Christmas. Cut. I love you, Miss Kubelik. Three. Queen. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kubelik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal.
0: To another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John.
1: And my name is Ian Woodington.
0: And uh, we are here we go, man. Uh, Week five, I believe, of our. (laughs) eyed. I I went a little Australian there, our decade-by-decade appreciation of film. Uh, Just in case uh, you want a little refresher, we did 1920 and Within Our Gates, 1930, All Quiet on the Western Front, 1940, Pinocchio, 1950, last week with Sunset Boulevard, and wrapping up our Billy Wilder double feature this week with 1960 and the apartment uh, but before we get into that we're just gonna sort of get into some general movie banter and I um, I, I want to start off like I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw it over to Ian here in a second um, so I don't really have a Twitter account um, I think I have one so that I can like look at Twitter but I don't post on Twitter Ian runs our Twitter feed and I run the Facebook feed and uh, last week we talked about uh, William Holden And we talked about uh, him as an actor and that he won for a performance that he did in a Billy Wilder film, something I was interested in trying to watch this week. However, I did not have the time. And so I'm going to, I'm going to throw it over to Ian here and and say, Hey, Ian, what did you think of Stalag 17?
1: It is the biggest piece of shit I have seen in a very long time. (laughs) Now I, I
0: don't dude I don't know anything about it. So what, I, I mean, I'm, I'm open-hearted, open-mind.
1: What is so atrocious about it? So, Stalag 17, uh, just to give you a little bit of a brief synopsis, it's uh, William Holden plays this guy in... Uh, it's 1942, 43. It's a, a German POW camp, Stalag 17, where the movie takes its name from. And he is a bit of an opportunist. Uh, he's not really well-liked amongst the rest of the prisoners, and he's got a uh, an associate's kind of a lackey. It's called Cookie. Cookie's got a bit of a stammer which kind of comes and goes for no reason. I mean, it's it's really there's so many is- inconsistencies about this movie. That's just that's not even the tip of the iceberg with this Cookie character. Um <laughs> You know, I talked I talked in last week's episode about how you know, Billy Wilder unfortunately lost some family members uh in the Holocaust. And I just—you wouldn't think that watching this movie, you know, you think there would be a little bit more reverence. And he—I mean, I kind of, I kind of get it. He treats some of the German characters like clowns, and so that's kind of one way to get sort of vengeance and look down on them and things like that. But the the inconsistencies in the performances—there's a couple of guys that they call the camp clowns who are, I, I didn't bother to get their names, because fuck them, they're two of the worst actors I've ever watched in my entire life. Uh, I don't know, man, This the whole affair just felt so tonally wrong and off-base, and you know, we're, it's 1953, we're eight years after the end of World War II, everything about this movie is just wrong to me. You know, Billy Wilder, We we talked, again, in Sunset Boulevard, and it's, it's, sort of the thing that he's revered for is the fact that he supposedly was such a great, he did such a great job of balancing comedy and drama and, yeah, okay, he does in movies, Like he he goes, and this is something we'll talk about in the meat of our episode in The Apartment, is he he'll do one scene that's very dramatic and one scene that's very comedic and he'll jump back and forth. He never, in my mind, really was able to do this to do both within one scene, and and Stalic Seventeen is one of the biggest offenders of that. Like tonally, it is an absolute fucking mess. Like, did you see? Did you see Monuments Men?
0: No, I did not.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of like it's that bad. Like the movie just has no fucking idea what it wants to be, and I wouldn't go. I wouldn't say that Monuments Men is disrespectful because it isn't. But this film just, it's it's wrong. Everything about this film just was wrong and it got under my skin immediately. And I, just, I couldn't believe that somebody who who had felt the effects of World War II firsthand would make a film like this. It just, it, I don't know, man. I just, I have to take a shower afterwards. Just everything about it just left me just fucking angry. Uh, William Holden, though, I mean, anytime he's on screen, he's pretty good. I I was gonna walk back some of the shit talking I did about I, him in Sunset Boulevard. I, I he was is, gonna he's, say he's pretty he's pretty good in this, which is a shame. I mean, it's you want to talk about a performance, a, a movie that doesn't deserve the performance that's in it. That Stalic Seventeen is like a number one offender of that. <laughs> oh, dude, just fuck that movie.
0: Yeah, um, I I you know it's funny. I really actually. I, I had high hopes of watching it this week. I just, the, the time slipped away from me and I didn't get a chance to do it. Um,
1: Well, it's an utterly garbage transfer, which the it's super unbalanced as far as color timing, but it's, it's free on Tubi for what it's worth.
0: No, I saw that. And that was part of, part of the reason why I was going to try to look into it It was like, Oh cool. It's streaming somewhere for free. I don't have to work that hard to to find it. Um, Now I'm going to, I'm going to, take the ball out of your hands I'm gonna take it back um, because I had uh, uh, last last Sunday um, I it was it was a good day here in the St. John household I, I like I, I did a lot with my kids and I, I did a bunch of household chores and uh, Melissa wanted to start painting one of our hallways and so I got to watch a movie of my own accord before I got to watch something else with Melissa and I I watched something that was a recommend of yours eons ago and and i have to say that whenever we get back to uh stanley kubrick and ranking his films i'm gonna have a hard fucking time leaving the killing off of my top five because that movie is fucking incredible fucking incredible
1: I I may have I may have said it when I was talking about it. I mean, people talk about Paths of Glory as the first masterpiece in a long line of masterpieces. But I I'm kind of I'm I'm tempted to throw the killing on that pile, too. I mean, he fucking he nails it, man. As far as noirs go, it is a it's a perfect noir.
0: It's so good and and uh, I, I'm kind of pissed I can't use it as my recommend because it's already been recommended and like fuck it that's fine but but now that' we've, we've sort of you know adding this this banter at the beginning um yeah I I it's it's funny because like the the voiceover in a way is so unnecessary but it, it it's what adds to the storytelling though it's it's how this story is being told um Sterling Hayden is great I don't have it in front of me but like that whole. That crew of people, I, and I love the way in which this heist gets pulls off, and like, and to I'm gonna kind of quote you, my friend, the way that you said that, um, all Quiet on the Western Front, um, was sort of the you know this this touchstone moment for war films, and that had all all war films owe a, a certain debt of gratitude to All Quiet on the Western Front. All heist movies, I think, owe American heist films. Uh, owe a certain amount of of gratitude to the killing because this, oh, this movie was so fucking great and it's like a clean like eighty five minutes. I mean, it's just like it's like you're in and it's over. Oh god, I I it was great. I'm so that was one of the my the recent pickups of the Barnes and Noble fifty percent off thing and so so fucking glad I bought it. I can't oh, recommend and they... it enough.
1: They did a great cover for that and you also get his second feature, Killer's Kiss, in that yes, as well.
0: Yes, Which I'm also excited to watch, uh just whenever I get to it. But yeah, dude, the I mean, killing it's
1: it's it's an extension of fear and desire. It's a guy who very obviously is talented, kind of figuring it out. I mean it's not it's not a great film, it's not a very memorable film, but for for the sake of, you know, being a Kubrick completionist and sort yeah. of seeing how the master got started, I think it's it's pretty necessary viewing. Even yeah. though it, uh, I don't think it'll leave a an overtly lasting impression
0: well but still yeah you know, I, I it's what of and I love I do I love when criterion does that like when it's basically like you can pick up a movie and you've got two because of however they just decide to to do that i i that's great i'm I'm excited if for no other reason just to watch another Kubrick film because I thought it was I thought it was great
1: yeah i'm I'm happy you dug that one man that is that is a favorite of mine I think it I I think I'm in the same camp. The next time we do a ranking Kubrick, Killing is is very very aggressively clawing its way up the top Dude, 5.
0: It's going to be a gut check whenever we whenever we end up deciding to do his like the ranking of Kubrick Kubrick's uh feature length films. Ah, fuck man, I don't even know. I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I thought I knew and I don't. Um so uh, what else has been on over there in the uh, the the Woodington household?
1: Well, I I kind of blew Liz's mind. Uh, Saturday we had ourselves a Terence Malick day, and wow. I, we did them we did them in the wrong order. We did uh, Knight of Cups second, and this is our I had I had put off seeing Knight of Cups and Song to Song, but just because of how poorly they were reviewed, we still haven't seen Song to Song. But Knight of Cups, I'm going to go out and say that it is... I mean, like all of his stuff, it's interesting and it does like pull you in and and bring you along on this this beautiful visual journey. But it is, it's definitely the least engaging of all of his movies. Okay. It and and that's basically because it had no script. I mean, because what what Malick does is he he does write, typically, and we discussed this on Badlands, is he will yeah. write a normal script, that's a script that you would you'd be used to reading if you were in the industry. And then through the course of editing, that's where he finds the film and the script kind of goes out the window after they've already shot the script. But night of cups didn't have one. And it's very clear that it didn't, which is, which is a shame because the wealth of talent that he has in there is incredible from Brian Dennehy, who's no longer with us, Christian Bale, Kate Blanchett, Natalie Portman, um, Imogen Poots there at the beginning. Um, but before we did Night of Cups, we did the new world, and I didn't realize that liz hadn't hadn't seen the new world uh, and so we we've got the criterion three disc with all three cuts of the film the three hour extended the hour and fifteen theatrical and the the original cut the two and a half one uh, the two and a half hour one that was originally submitted to the academy and that one it's it's how I feel now about the apocalypse now final cut like redux is too much theatrical is not enough this final cut is that happy yeah this is this is about right this is what we want yeah and and same deal with the the two and a half hour original cut of new world well it's kind of rewired her brain although i don't want to put words into her mouth but it really it to be blunt it fucked her up just how visually astonishing this thing is how beautiful this this well-known story is i mean he actually used the journals from john Rolfe and and john smith whatever writings were available to make this thing as authentic as possible going and working with native peoples to make sure that rituals were done correctly and the the way that they lived how they dressed how they spoke it's all as authentic as it can possibly be and for Liz I think it's what's really messing with her is you you see this moment in time that changed the course of history you know life as we know it is is down to a series of of very pivotal moments and that landing in Jamestown is is one of them it's it's the moment that sort of shaped the direction of this country and how we interacted with the natives and uh, uh, how honestly how we we fucked it up this is what what Liz is grasping with we had a moment in time to to work and to live and to be a part of this this very beautiful thriving community and of course because you know the settlers came here with uh Sort of pre-capitalist notions and the ideas of ownership. They talk in the film that the John Smith and his narration is talking about how they have no words for for jealousy or ownership or possession, and of course we came and frankly fucked all that up. And so I think that's that's really it's stayed with her, and it's really it's really kind of put a funk over the entire week.
0: <laughs> um, you know that's a movie that I. I, I know I need to give it another another watch I watched it in my pre-in Bruges Colin Farrell phase where I didn't like him and so I went in already like de- you know like defeated like or like anticipating the movie wasn't gonna be good like I like I know it's it's essentially the story of of John Smith and I, I that's about all I know um I I want to say like within a very short span of time I watched this and Alexander and like I just because Alexander is really bad, I I just lumped it all in. It's like, oh, Colin Farrell was in these historical epics. I didn't like him, and I like I. But I, I know like saying that now, I really can't remember it. So whenever, eventually, whenever we do our next Malick film, um, that'll be something I try to rewatch before, just as a as a, a Malick refresher, because I know I I didn't give that movie the 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 just watch it deserved.
1: Did you have you picked up the criterion of that? I have not. I would 100% recommend doing that in the next sale or the next time you splurge on criterions. It is, I, it's my favorite set at the moment of anything they've done.
0: Nice, nice. And it's, it's
1: right. great having all three cuts in there if you're so inclined to sort of take a look at how Malik works and how he edits his films. It's a really fascinating, uh, sort of insight into that world
0: for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's
1: just a fucking beautiful film. It is genuinely one of my favorite films just on a is, visual level.
0: Is that Lubesky who was the cinematographer yes. on that? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And one it's, of the ones that, that helped make him famous and it's got an absolutely stunning score as well. Yeah. Uh, James, I think it's James Horner doing the score. Nice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so I, I only have two other films I wanted to bring up before we get to our recommends. Um, uh, and, and one, because I, I, wanted, I wanted to like it more than I did as a second watch. And then the other, because it's just going to bring up a funny anecdote. Um, so I, I, I rewatched Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, because when I first watched it, I, don't, I didn't like it very much. And I didn't know why. And I I probably I watched it around the time it came out because it was like, you know, trying to catch up on all the Oscar nominees, and Gary Oldman was nominated for it. And so I watched it again this week, and here's it's dude, I can't I don't know why I think is it is it uh T- is it Thomas Alfredson who directed Tinker Taylor?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's it.
0: So so here's I, I I don't even know how to it's it's directed well. I really like the score. You're talking about a movie that <laughs> Gary Oldman, Mark Strong, John Hurt, Toby Jones, Colin Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, Stephen Graham, Tom Hardy. And it, I don't know, I don't know why it's not exactly what I what I want. I can't I can't put my my fingers on it exactly, but it has all of the pieces of a good film. And for some reason, and I don't and I after rewatching it, I certainly liked it more than I did the first time. But like I feel like I should like this movie more than I do, and I guess I just mostly just wanted to know like just your what what are your thoughts on on this movie?
1: Well, I I at, on an aesthetic level I dig it. Like I love the way it looks. I love the performances in it. Uh, there's a handful of things about it I don't like, and that's basically because I've I've read uh, quite a lot of John LeCarre. Sure. Uh, especially the the Smiley novels and that yeah. trilogy in particular, because it's Tinker Tailor, uh, the Honorable Schoolboy, and Smiley's People. Now Alec Guinness originated that role on TV. It was it was a very famous thing because it was the first time Alec Guinness had ever done TV. This is the late '70s. He did Tinker Tailor the same year that he did Star Wars. Oh, okay. Uh, and his Smiley. I mean, don't. I love Gary Oldman. I. I love Gary Oldman. I cannot, like, state that enough. But Alec Guinness, this was the part that he was born to play. Like, yeah. the seven-part the seven TV miniseries that they did back in the 70s in Britain is still one of the greatest pieces of television that's ever been made. And so when you're trying to take something that honored the book so faithfully and had seven hours to do it versus this pared-down two-hour version now i know i always try to be fair i try to judge the film on its own merits and that's why i say that aesthetically i like it but there's a there's a handful of narrative decisions which i don't agree with and and condensing characters and flat out changing some characters motivations which really don't make any sense i will say i think mark strong is outside of gary oldman he's like the best damn thing in it Mark Strong is incredible in that movie.
0: Mark Strong is so underrated as an actor. I think he's oh, absolutely. phenomenal. Phenomenal. He is. Like um, his
1: one his one little scene in nineteen seventeen, like I got stupidly giddy excited. Like I knew he was in it, so I was waiting for him to show up, and then I was like, yeah. Oh, there he is. I just got I got all like it was like a kid on Christmas morning. I was like, There he is, that's Mark Strong. Yeah. It was like that that shot in uh, in once for simon hollywood that everybody's been memeing to death when his episode of fbi comes on and he's pointing at the tv yeah yeah that, that I was like "Ooh, that's mark strong
0: <laughs> that's funny um so yeah okay. I, that's
1: a movie tinker taylor is one i've gone back and forth on quite a bit and i just end up suddenly i was like ah i'll just watch the bbc series instead
0: yeah that's fair um and then so and then one more really quick before i throw it back to you um so I, I don't know why. Melissa hadn't seen this, and, and it's in the book, so I don't want to do a deep dive on it. But uh, I had my second viewing, and Melissa had her first viewing of, of Total Recall. Now, I don't want to even necessarily get into a long – I don't really want to take up that much time on Total Recall, except for the fact to bring up – do you remember last week we were talking about the Coen brothers and that they're only in the book two times? Paul Verhoeven is in the book five times. Five times
1: which is insane well it's um soldier of orange it's it's a handful of movies that he made when he was still working in the netherlands yes so it's i think it's soldier of orange the fourth man and and, something called turkish delight uh, turkish delight which is a piece of shit turkish delight i haven't seen any of them it's one of the worst fucking movies i've ever seen i fucking Um, hate turkish delight i love soldier of orange but turkish delight is awful
0: and then it's and then it's it's RoboCop and um, and then uh, Total Recall, uh, but like I saw that and I'm looking at the I, I made the spreadsheet that I, I sent to you and I'm looking at that he's got more movies in the book than people like Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Eisenstein, Werner Herzog, Ang Lee, Sidney Lumet, Joseph Mankiewicz, and um, a little director who I think you might like
1: Ridley Scott. He's yeah, got more. What? It's kind it's kind of horseshit
0: what is this
1: yeah it it makes no sense the Sidney the Met one drives me up the fucking wall I'll tell you that much right the Ridley Scott one doesn't bother me that much because I he makes a certain type of genre film
0: I mean sure but anyways I just I I we watched it I I enjoyed it for what it was Melissa was not a fan of Total Recall um but that was something else that I watched this week um Ian, anything oh, that, else? that
1: doesn't surprise me no I'm I'm ready to get into to recommends. like how but before we do that I don't want to move away too. How how strong was her reaction? Like how I always I'm always interested to know Melissa's sort of level of irritation when it comes to these. Um you
0: know, I I forget what we narrowed it down to. Because that's, you know, we, we do what you do and like we'll look at our the wall upstairs and just be like, okay, well what are we what are we gonna watch? And I'll sometimes I just randomly pull out a few and we'll and we'll sort of push them in and we narrow it down. And I don't know how I don't know how we got to it, to be to be perfectly honest, um, but I said, you know, it's it's sci-fi, it's action. You probably won't have to think too much, and she was like, okay, and um, I, I I enjoyed it as, as a rewatch. Like I think it's funny, it's ridiculous, um, you know, it, it's just it's it's a lot of of crazy stuff. It's got fucking Ironside in it, so I mean, how bad is it gonna be? Uh, but um, I, I just think I don't know what I don't know what she was expecting, but I think she was just. I, un like i don't i I can't like she couldn't she couldn't have been bothered it was more like oh okay (laughs) like she wasn't grossed out or she wasn't like whatever she gasped a couple of times when the violence got you know whatever but i think uh, on the whole she was not impressed (laughs) oh
1: i was i was hoping for more of a visceral reaction
0: no yeah we didn't we didn't quite get that
1: ah but yeah, I am I am excited to do an episode on Total Recall and, and uh deal with that Verhoven situation. Because yeah, <laughs> it's it, too many and some of them are the wrong ones. Yeah. Apps Ab- for, for, for sure. Robocop is totally fine though. Robocop I'm okay with all RoboCop. day long. Robocop yeah. all day long.
0: Yeah. Um so uh so now now we get into um recommends this week. Uh Ian, who 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 should go first?
1: Uh I think I'm going to go first. I, I, do, I do have a 60s film, but it's, uh, it's on the opposite end of the 60s from 1969. Uh, and this, speaking of uh, blind buys and such from the Barnes & Noble Criterion sale, uh, which is just a little ways behind us now, I picked up Ken Russell's Women in Love. Uh, this stars Alan Bates, a uh, very famous British uh, stage actor. Uh, you, yeah, and you probably know, you know him from Gosford Park. He was Jennings in that. Yes. Uh, Oliver Reed, of course, and, uh, we've got a, a big Oliver Reed movie coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm very excited to talk about so that we can deal with my Oliver Reed man crush. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, that man was impossible to light badly. Uh, we've also gotten this one. We've got Glenda Jackson and Jenny Linden rounding out the, the sort of foursome. And then, uh, couple of cool little cameos uh one of them being michael goff who uh, most people will know as alfred pennyworth yep but he got his start in uh, the hammer horror movies and then a guy that i'm sure nobody knows who i'm about to say but Vladik shabal he was one of the very first james bond villains he was cronstein in from russia with love and he worked with ken russell several times but he plays a weird weaselly little piece of shit in this movie i think he's absolutely fantastic but women in love is just uh, set in the 1920s and it's about these these four people who eventually become romantically entangled this film i'm gonna say it's almost about too much it's about oppression marriage jealousy love lust death friendship i mean it really covers a wide spectrum of of human interaction you have alan bates who is a sort of philosophizing teacher. He falls in love with the Jenny Linden character. Now Jenny Linden and Glenda Jackson, they're both sisters and and Jenny Linden teaches at the same school as the Alan Bates character. And then Oliver Reed, he has taken over his father's factory. He falls in love with the Glenda Jackson character. But there's also a very strong sort of homoerotic relationship between the two guys as well. And and most people who have seen this film or, or know about it, they're gonna know about this is the fact that this is the first film or one of the very first films to feature frontal male nudity, and it's very famous, of course, for its nude male wrestling scene that happens in this big drawing room in this big manor in front of a fire. Um gotta say, like I said, with my Oliver Reed man crush, he was uh he was no slouch in that department. <laughs> Not that anybody asked, but there you go. Check um but the, the dialogue is utterly fantastic. A lot of it is very tongue in cheek. There's this great, uh, sequence early on in the film where they're all sat around this, this, at this beautiful country manor out in the, the garden taking lunch. And, uh, Alan Bates very seductively pulls a fig out of the bowl and he splits it open. And he's talking about how some cultures view, uh, the fig as being representative of, of vulva. And, uh, yeah, it's just, there's so much tongue-in-cheek, like, it's, as some people, this is a very horny movie, uh, It's dealing, again, and being that it's a British film, a lot of that is very repressed and and people sort of dealing with those desires and, and ambitions and things like that. The cinematography in it is an absolute standout, so there's a great sequence, a very tragic sequence that was shot at uh, Magic Hour, which is just... Absolutely stunning! This this horrible drowning sequence. Um, I was I was interested when I was reading about it that I, and I think it was probably for the best. But they originally wanted Michael Caine for it in the Oliver Reed part, which when you see the film, you'll you'll know just how off base that casting choice would have been. But I yeah, it, I really enjoyed it. It's only my I think it's only my third Ken Russell film, and I've got to say his films are not one time watches, with the exception of maybe Tommy which is not good.
0: I can't say that I've seen any of his films.
1: Well, I'm very excited to do uh, The Devils is in the book.
0: Yes, that you you had a guest spot on on our our, our brother podcasts uh Cinemas talking about that, didn't you?
1: Well, we Oh no, you we were going to, ch- to. That's right. W- yeah, we had to we had to switch gears because unfortunately the Devils is streaming nowhere. Really, the only place to pick it up is importing it from the UK, the BFI to this DVD they did of that, and there's a whole whole rabbit hole we, we could go down with that. But I'm, yeah. I'm very excited for you to see The Devils. I highly recommend now that you are region free. Indeed, I, I am. Spend, spend the money, man. It, the Devils is 100% worth it. I well, cannot recommend that film or Women in Love highly enough.
0: Speaking of region free, that's going to lead right into my my recommend. Um, uh, not too long ago, I don't remember if it was through Arrow's website exactly or through Zavi, um, but uh, I picked up a couple. They were like two for something. And um, I blind bought uh, a movie because I'd, I'd heard that, you know, it, as sequels go, it was good, but I, I wasn't sure what to expect. And so um, Sunday night after I got to watch The Killing by myself, Melissa and I sat down and watched The Exorcist 3. Which I, I, like, dude, I really liked this movie. Um,
1: uh, It's so funny that you talked about my little rant about Stalic 17 on Twitter, because about a month before that, I had another tirade on The Exorcist 3. Now, I didn't see Legion. I didn't see William Peter Blatty's quote-unquote preferred cut. I just saw the one that's on Prime. And... I'm racking my, it, it, there is a sort of cult following for this film and it is revered in certain circles. And I just, I'm, I'm hoping you'll have some insight for me now. Cause I couldn't wrap my mind around why.
0: So, so um, just really quickly for anybody who, who, who cares, cause I've never seen the second one, but this, this takes place 15 years after the events of the first movie. Um, and it, it's it's only linked kind of as as the movie progresses, but essentially there's been a, 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 a string of murders uh, by somebody called the Gemini Killer who police believe they caught in 1975 around the events of The Exorcist. Um, and these murders are being done in the same way that they happened back uh, in 75 when they believe that they caught the Gemini Killer. Um, it, you know, I'm going to spoil this a little bit. Um... It, it turns out that Jason Miller, who is the priest from The Exorcist, uh, kind of went – when he fell down those stairs, didn't die. He kind of went crazy, and this uh, – uh, a demon, essentially, uh, played by Brad Dorff in a deliciously overacted part, um, sort of is now inhabiting the physical body of, of, of the priest. Um, and George C. If- Scott plays –
1: Go ahead. If I could jump in, I think the way that they explain it is that the quote unquote devil, as Jason Miller's character was dying at the end of The Exorcist, and his soul or whatever was leaving his body, that was the Gemini Killer was executed yes. within that sort of time frame, and so as Father um, Father, Mer- Father soul was leaving his body, the devil shoved the Gemini Killer soul into yes. into his
0: yes exactly um and uh and george c scott plays uh detective kinderman who is sort of um he's he's tracking all the murders he's trying to figure out what's going on um i i think the reason why i like this so much is that i it played more just like a like a crime thriller i and because i didn't know what to expect i didn't really i didn't go into this thinking that i was going to see a horror film uh now there are some some very uh there's some great jump scares in this movie, um, and uh, I I think I think the performances are actually really good. I like the score, I like the cinematography, I, I I like what it's trying to tell, and I do like the way it does kind of link in the first movie. It has nothing to do with Ellen Burstein and Linda Blair. It has nothing to do with their family. It's more to do with um, Father Karras and and who was related to him, and and the string of murders. Um, I I don't know. I I thought it was really Interesting, and I love I love old George C. Scott. I don't know. I just like his presence in the movie. Um, it was the the word I kept thinking of was nightmarish. Like it it was it was really creepy, not necessarily scary, but like it, it kept me like basically at the end when the when uh, Nicole Williamson, who's in this movie for some reason, um, is trying to perform the exorcism on on the Gemini killer slash father Karras. um like what happens in in the, his padded cell is fucking like crazy and creepy and nuts um I don't know man i I just I liked it I, th- I thought it was a really fun and entertaining movie
1: that's funny you're 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 hyping up all of the things I didn't so if I'm remembering my tweet correctly I think I said uh can somebody in film Twitter or the horror community explain to me why this film is so revered in certain circles because it smacks of Let's see if I can remember exactly what I said. It smacks of disinterested performances, studio interference, and worst of all, a stinky desperation of trying to hold on to faded success. And I was kind of pointing the finger at Blatty there.
0: I mean, I I, I can't say that I've done the research on it to know, like specifically what kind of control he had or didn't have I I know like I know originally it was supposed to be called Legion and I know they wanted to to link it more to the exorcist um but I, now I, I you, don't know you you having
1: I, having the arrow one which which cut did you watch because I know that they tried to reassemble his original version the best they could
0: so we watched the theatrical from I I think and I, I we we could have watched the Legion cut um but I think it's only five. It's a five-minute difference, and I, I, I think my my first thought was, that's not going to make a huge difference right now. Um, I have. Uh, it's funny. Uh, uh, I have uh scheduled October. Uh, I I have a a, to- a schedule of what we're going to watch in the in the in the household. Where it's like we've we've horrified our October, and I think we'll revisit it because I want to. We're going to watch The Exorcist and then The Exorcist Three again, so we'll probably watch The Legion cut in October um, but I watched just the theatrical when we we put it on
1: well it's not the thing with legion is it's not from what i've read it's not just five additional minutes that they put in the film is structured very differently and there's different slightly different performances and you know because they reshot quite a bit to make it gel a bit more with the original exorcist so it does sound like it is a a different vision and if you are going to do legion and the original exorcist you should also throw the ninth configuration in there because in William Peter Blatty's mind Exorcist 2, fuck that he hates that movie and it seems like a lot of other people do but in his mind the Exorcist trilogy goes Exorcist 1 ninth configuration and then Legion is the third part of that trilogy now ninth configuration again, I don't think Blatty's a good director because he wrote and directed that as well based on his book and I'm sorry I don't want to go on too long a tangent here but just to sort of convince you to look at it as a trilogy this uh this film focuses on you remember in the first exorcist where she says to on the in the first couple of days of her being possessed and they're having the the party that's winding down she looks at one guy and says you're gonna die up there well she's talking to an astronaut they don't really that's clearer in the book it's not very clear in the movie but that's that's kind of what this the, the ninth configuration focuses on, the the astronaut who bailed out of, of going to the moon because of what he was told and then gets sent to an insane asylum. And then the movie goes off the rails and it's about something else entirely, but that was the original intention anyway. Okay. So these films have a weird storied history, a lot of studio interference, a lot of Peter Blatty being overly precious about his material and not being a very good director. So I'm very interested when we reconvene after your your month of horror to find out what you think of them as a trilogy
0: yeah i I definitely i'll, I'll throw that in there definitely have to do that um so there you go two i totally random and and and, and different recommends we've got the exorcist three and and women in love those are what we are recommending this week uh but let's shift over now back to billy wilder And to uh, uh, a great little gem of a film called The Apartment. Um, This was written, uh, co written by Billy Wilder and uh, ILA Diamond. Um, I think often referred to as Izzy, um, although there were some other. (laughs) Other potential nicknames that he had for the IAL, which we we can talk about now, or we can, we can say for later. I don't really think it matters. Well, I actually,
1: I go ahead. I don't. I didn't actually find those in my research.
0: Um. So, uh, he 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 commonly went by Izzy. Um. He was from Romania, and so it's hard to know what exactly, uh, his his name was before it got changed. Um. Apparently, though, he. He said that his initials stood for Interscholastic Algebra League, which was a prize that he had won while he was attending a boys' school in Brooklyn. Um, so, I, who knows if that's really what it was? Um, but I thought that that's just a little funny thing about about him and, and those initials. Although, really funny too, because it, it was D.M. Marshman Jr. Um, uh, for uh, Sunset Boulevard. I love just like the the initials of people's names. Like we don't, I don't think we do that enough anymore.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great.
0: Um, So, moving on to our cast. Oh, hot damn, man. Our three leads of this movie just fucking fucking amazing. We got Jack Lemon playing CeCe Bud Baxter. Uh, We have Shirley MacLaine as Fran Kubelik and Fred McMurray uh, as J.D. Sheldrick. Um, uh, Sort of uh, uh, supporting performances that I'd love to get a little shout out to would be Jack Krushen as Dr. Dreyfus and uh, Naomi Stevens as Mrs. Mildred Dreyfus. They are his neighbors. Um, Edie Adams as Miss Olson, That is uh, Sheldrick's secretary. Hope Holiday in a really Interesting role, and I want to talk about this scene whenever, uh, who plays Mrs. Margie McDougal, and then the other one I wanted to throw out there was Johnny Seven, who plays Carl Matushka, that's uh, Fran's brother-in-law. There are a lot of people who play the other people in the offices, um, who who frequent his apartment. None of them do anything special, in my opinion, so I didn't want to take the time. any Any additional shout-outs you want to give?
1: Well, I'd give I'd give Ray Walston as Joe Dobish a shout out because we've talked about him a little bit in an episode way 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 back. He was Mister Hand in Fast Times at Ridgemont High.
0: Oh fuck me, fuck me running. That is that is incredible.
1: Yeah, that and
0: is he's incredible. also
1: I think uh, of of the of the four guys that are using his apartment. I think he's the biggest fuckhead.
0: Is he the one trying to bone the Marilyn Monroe look alike?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay.
0: All right. I got the wrong one. That, that's fine. Um, cool, cool, cool. Okay. Uh, last week, you, you heard us discuss the other films of Billy Wilder's in the book, but just as a refresher, they are Double Indemnity, The Lost Weekend, Ace in the Hole, um, and uh, and Some Like It Hot. Uh, talk about accolades here. Um, this movie won Best Picture, Director, Original Screenplay, Editing, and Production Design at the academy awards and and you teased last week a little bit about billy wilder making history would you like to explain how he made history that night
1: he was the first individual to win picture director and a screenplay oscar
0: that's pretty badass that is a that's a that's a hat trick to shoot for um yeah
1: one for the uh, ages especially yeah with this you, film. do you know
0: who do you know who recently just did that
1: oh who did that uh bong joon ho <laughs> yes, he did. Did you take home? Did you take home four that night? Yeah, actually, or Paras- he did. Parasite, parasites took home four, but he he individually took all four of them. Was it? Yes, he? that is correct. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. picture director screenplay and four fourth and one, fourth. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, uh, but uh, it didn't win everything. Um, Jack Lemmon lost best actor to Burt Lancaster for Elmer Gantry. Uh, Shirley McClain lost uh, best actress to Liz Taylor for Butterfield Eight. And um, uh, Jack Creshen, lost supporting actor to Peter Ustinov in Spartacus. Um, I not uh, besides Spartacus, I, I haven't seen Elmer Gantry or Butterfield Eight, so I don't know. I don't know if those were like deserving wins or not.
1: Uh, what I read is that um, Butterfield Eight is apparently not a very good Liz Taylor performance, but didn't see it myself, so I can't can't comment. Gotcha.
0: Gotcha. Um, it also, it, it was nominated for cinematography uh, and sound. Uh, at the Golden Globes, it won Best Picture Comedy, Actress, and Actor. It lost Director. At the BAFTAs, it won Best Film from Any Source and Best Foreign Actor and Actress. It won the DGA. It was in the National Board of Reviews Top 10. It won a WGA Award for Best American Comedy. Hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry?
1: Yes, it was in 1994, and we've done a few of those most recently. We did Pinocchio. That was inducted in 94, as was E.T., Manchurian Candidate, and a couple that I'm looking forward to talking about. I don't know when we're going to do episodes on these, but Taxi Driver and Midnight Cowboy. So that's a pretty good company to be in.
0: Yeah, those are are heavy films, man. Those are some heavy films.
1: (laughs) Midnight Cowboy is no joke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, on the original afi top 100 it was listed at 93 on the the revised list it jumped up a bunch of positions to uh, to number 80 it is currently number uh, 117 on the imdb 250 hey ian what's on either side of our uh, beloved the apartment
1: well at number 118 we have another billy wilder film double indemnity so, right oh, next door damn. to each other, there. And then, right in front of it, at number 116, we have uh, Denise. Uh, I always fuck up his last name. Denis Villeneuve. Villeneuve? Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Oh, come on. you've got, Help me out here, please.
0: Well, it's, I don't think it's Villeneuve. Ray. I just say Denis Villeneuve, but I, I, and there I could we go. be wrong.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm flowering it up a bit. I'm throwing a few more syllables in there or something. <laughs> I don't know. Terrible at names. Uh, but Incendies is on the other side of it, which I just I recently blind bought that for a couple of bucks, so I'm excited to, to take a look at that.
0: I've heard good things. I have heard good things about that.
1: Yeah. So, Adam, I have to ask you, do you love List? I love List. I, I do, too. I love List. I, I love List. And, and honestly, I, I just watched Anchorman for the first time in like 10 years almost the other night, so <laughs> I love Lamp is very fresh in my mind. <laughs> also... After them singing afternoon delight is one of the best moments in any American comedy ever.
0: Oh, it's great. It's great.
1: But anyway, I do I do have a couple of lists. Um I actually have a full top twenty here. Oh. Um the AFI's um top twenty laughs. Uh so here we go. At number blah blah, blah, blah. at number twenty, actually, is the apartment. Okay. So going forward, we also have um, His Girl Friday. On the other side of it, before I continue going through the list, uh, at number 21, just behind it is A Fish Called Wanda. Always love to shout out that movie. Absolutely oh, of love course. that flick. Of course. Sorry, sorry. Uh, number 20 is The Apartment. Number 19, His Girl Friday, which you just you just watched that recently, didn't you?
0: No, I just watched the front page. Oh, that's right. You, you the- were
1: talking about His Girl yes. Friday. That's right. Yeah. Uh, at number... 18, we have The General. Did a little episode on that film. We did a little double feature with Buster Keaton. Number 17 is another film that I just blindly bought and i am excited to watch is The Original Odd Couple with Lemon and Matthau. Uh-huh. Number 16, another film we've covered, Singing in the Rain, considered Uh a comedy. Sure, Uh, sure. Number 15, Philadelphia Story. Number 14, you're really not going to like, is Bringing Up Baby. And we've done an episode on that one as well.
0: That movie's not funny.
1: It's it's not. Uh, number thirteen, we have Young Frankenstein. Her, okay. Number, cool. Number twelve is a Marx Brothers film, A Night at the Opera, and I'm okay. sure you're 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 gonna have uh, no doubt in believing me. It's not the only Marx Brothers film on this list. Not surprised. No, number eleven, the producers. The I should should go without saying the original 1968 producers, yes. which I yeah. absolutely adore. Uh, number 10, we have Airplane. Number nine is The Graduate. Okay. Which is one of, I think, top 25 films of all time for me.
0: I, I love that movie, but I do not think it is funny.
1: It's, yeah, it's, it's that's problematic. Yeah. Number eight, again, another film we've done. It Happened One Night. Boom. Number seven, M.A.S.H., which I really owe a revisit. I haven't seen that film in a very long time.
0: I haven't seen it, and and because we're doing 1970 next week, it is it is one of the movies I plan on watching actually, in conjunction with our our, our delving into the year of 1970. So I'm oh, also, I'll have I'm, I'm, more to say next week.
1: Yeah, I'll have uh, I'm excited to hear what you think of that one. Number six is Blazing Saddles.
0: I fucking love number. That.
1: F- it's it's solid. Number five is Duck Soup, another Marx Brothers film, and an episode we've done again. Number four is Annie Hall, Woody Allen. He's a little problematic, but there it is. There it is. Yep. Number three, Doctor Strange Love. You know how much I love Doctor Strange Love.
0: I do know that.
1: Number two is Tootsie, and you know how much I didn't like Tootsie. I,
0: I okay. I I I liked it. It it should not be that high. That is just yeah. That nuts. That,
1: that's absurd. Bonkers. Again,
0: again, not. I mean. There are funny moments, but I don't think I could call it a comedy.
1: Yeah, I I that's a bit of a stretch for me. And number 1, again another Billy Wilder film, Some Like It Hot. Ah. Uh, AFI yes, yes, calls yes. that the number one film of all time. If you'll indulge me, I do have one more list uh, going the great. Uh, going the other side of the pond now. We have uh we love making lists in Britain. Uh Channel 4 and Film 4 uh in 2006, they did a list of the 50 films you must see before you die, which it sounded like it was a two-part 2, two part television event. Uh, I, I wanted to do the top 15 so that I could include your favorite film of all time. At number 15 is Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah! Number 14, we have Lagan, Once Upon a Time in India. Don't know anything about that one.
0: You know, I don't either. But it's funny. You know, why we have those posters upstairs? The scratch off when you've watched it. That's one of them.
1: Oh, is that on the? That's on the IMDb. That's the IMDb bucket list poster. No, right? no,
0: no, no. That it, it's just it's just a list of a hundred movies that you should see. It, it's it's not. i It's just a, like a. I don't want to say it's random, but it, it is. It's not. It's its own separate list. But that that's on it, and I I don't know anything about it.
1: Yeah. Neither do I. I'm I'm curious now because it made this list. Uh, number 13, no surprise, we have the Shawshank Redemption. Okay. Now, I want you to bear in mind this list was made in 2006, because it's going to inform kind of what number 12 is, and that is Lost in Translation. Okay. Number 11 is Alien. Okay. Number 10. 10 is Back to the Future. Yay! Hey. Uh, number 9 Donny Darko again bear in mind this is Whoa. a list made this is a list made Whoa. in the UK Donny Darko was huge in Britain I mean fucking massive over there
0: wow wow that is that is something that's a list yeah. holy yeah. shit
1: well I got a I got a, another whammy for you coming up next number 8 is breathless
0: well ah uh, fuck that movie I I get the yeah, I, wyver, I mean yeah okay
1: and you can go back and listen to our episode on Breathless. We, uh, we take Godard to task. Yes, we do. Number seven, North by Northwest.
0: Oh, fucking sumptuous film.
1: Yeah. Uh, number six, 2001, A Space Odyssey.
0: Okay, love it.
1: Number five is a decision that I respect so fucking much. And again, remember, this is 2006, A List Made in Britain. Sexy Beast is number five on their list of the 50 films to see before you die that is that is
0: definitely that's a homer pick right there
1: yeah win one for the home team sexy beast yeah that's uh that's a a decision (laughs) i mean i love i love sexy beast would i call it the top 50 you must see before you die i don't know probably not but i i do love it (laughs) number four is chinatown okay Number 3 is City of God.
0: I have not seen uh, that in such a long time.
1: Yeah, but it I remember it it got under my skin there for a little while. Yeah. Number 2, and the reason that I'm bringing up this list on this episode is the apartments. Well, hot damn. Do you want to take a random stab in the dark at what number 1 is?
0: That you mu- uh I, I would I would I'm going to go I'm going to go obvious. I'm going to say it's either Lawrence of Arabia or Citizen Kane.
1: It's apocalypse now.
0: Oh, okay. All right. All right.
1: Again, another great, a great big two-parter that we did right back at the beginning of this season. If anybody's <laughs> interested in revisiting that it little chestnut, like e-
0: it feels like eons ago.
1: But there you go. There's a couple of lists for you.
0: Um, cool. So, just really quickly, I'll just say too that this has a Rotten Tomato score of 93, critical and 94 audience. Um, you know what? We had so much fun with the lists. Let's just do you mind if we skip over bosley crowther for now
1: yeah if you uh if you want to skip mr bosley i mean i don't know that he'll take any offense
0: (laughs) i mean he is dead and we are we are about to slander his name in that unauthorized biopic that we're gonna we're gonna work on i can't wait um so let's i I don't even know what he looks like hey we could do wonders with makeup most as a makeup artist so we can it'll be great there it'll we go fun.
1: perfect and all this time um, that we've been referencing bosley crowther i've never bothered to look at a picture of him
0: ditto ditto um
1: and i so think just, i think it's better that way
0: yes indeed indeed we don't want to that way when people ask like why do you not look like him i'd be like fuck i don't know it, if i we didn't look so who cares um so yeah so the apartment um We follow uh, uh, C.C. Bud Baxter. He works at uh, Consolidated Insurance. Um, He is just basically a cog in the wheel, um, except for the fact that he has this thing where he has um, he lends his key to his apartment out to higher up executives so that they can have extramarital trysts in his uh, apartment. And uh, it's it's sort of going on for a while. In a way, it's sort of advancing his career until it gets to um, the hands of Sheldrick, who is the head of operations. And uh, instead of reprimanding him, he asks for the key himself. Uh, unfortunately, he wants the key so that he could take up Miss um, who just happens to be the object of Jack uh, Jack Lemon's sort of affection, although she doesn't reciprocate it. And eventually. Uh, we get this sort of interesting love triangle thing where um, Jack Lemon finds out that uh, it's Fran who is uh, Sheldrick's um, mistress. And uh, we find out that, or Fran finds out that that's, uh, it's, it's Bud Baxter's apartment. Um, uh, a lot of stuff happens that we, I can't wait to talk about. And ultimately what happens is it, uh, it looks like Fran may end up with Sheldrick, but on New Year's Eve, she runs back, to uh, Baxter's apartment and gives us one of the great ending Billy Wilder lines shut up and deal.
1: I do like that line very much. I, I, I do I just, too it, Billy Wilder's just the king of final lines.
0: yes um, so so right off the bat um, I want to start with with uh, a couple of things about casting. So uh, first I'm going to I'm going to make a blanket statement and then we'll talk about it and then I'm going to ask you a question. Um
1: here's is this my like my is this like my Marlon Brando one from last week?
0: uh kinda, kind of. I I don't know how controversial this will be. Um but here we go. Shirley MacLaine uh has far and away the best performance in this movie.
1: Oh, absolutely. She's heartbreak. I fell in love with her instantly.
0: It it is it is incredible what she's doing. Um, I, I feel like I could spend an hour talking about the Christmas party and the way that information gets revealed and the the storytelling done with props and glances. It's fantastic. We're not there yet. Um, but yeah, the the work that she is doing in this movie and and oh I she is She's just terrific. And I, I was watching something this morning on um, – because I have the, the Arrow version of this. And so I watched a couple of, you know, behind-the-scenes things and, and whatever. And, the, you know, they wanted – you know, as they were casting this, they wanted somebody you, know, somebody, you know, conventionally attractive but also somebody who could look sad. And um, I, 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 don't, I don't know how serious this was ever considered. But the idea of this part being played by Marilyn Monroe is just – it's just silly nonsense. Silly nonsense to ever do that.
1: Well, I guess she had shot herself in the foot working on uh, on some like it hot. And what was the what was the other film they did together?
0: Uh, Seventy was Rich.
1: The, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, her diva personality had sort of turned Billy Wilder off to her to ever working with her again. And of course, there's the little dig at the one executive who's trying to bring up the 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 other blonde the one that looks like marilyn monroe back to his apartment after he's already taken his sleeping pill so that was a a quick little jab at, at marilyn monroe which and i gotta say too pretty good look alike
0: and pretty good impression like i i i mean we we it's like one year one year from something like it hot and he is taking pot shots at marilyn monroe it's fantastic
1: that's, that is one of the things that I do respect, like I talked about at the end of Sunset Boulevard last week. I I respect the fact that he wasn't afraid to spit in the eye of his own industry and call them out on their own bullshit.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Like it, it, I I by no means am taking anything away from from Murray or Jack Lemmon like, at all. Uh but it, it I just there's something about Shirley MacLaine in this in this film and, and and everything that she does, I just it's it's just yeah, I it's hard. It's it, you know, sometimes it when I when I teach actors, I I talk about presence. And presence is something you can't teach. It's just something that you have. And it's it's everybody has different stage presence or different screen presence. And it's it's finding it takes it's it's take an actor finding the time to know what their presence is and then and use it and I don't know if she had found it before this. I'm not going to go ahead and say that I'm a Shirley MacLaine historian. I'm not totally familiar with her career, but like if she didn't have it before, she found it in this movie, and it's it's palpable in a great way.
1: Oh, as I said, she's she's heartbreaking. I think she also has the benefit of having some of the best lines. I think one of my favorites, if not my favorite line from this movie, other than the ending one, is the, you know, she should never wear mascara when you're in love with a married man. I mean, that one that's a pretty piercing line right there and yeah. she talks about how you know it's all it's all fine and dandy and then all of a sudden one day he's rushing out the door and asking you to to check for any lipstick on his collar like she just her character is there to just rip your heart out of your chest and just make you like I said I I couldn't help myself I was head over heels in love with her
0: that that scene between her and sheldrick at the the Chinese restaurant the the when we when we kind of I don't want to call it a twist, but you know, if you haven't seen this movie before and you, you put it together at that moment, oh shit, this is who Sheldrake wants to go to the apartment with. Um, that scene at the Chinese restaurant is great. Like her monologue is so it's so subtle and it's so specific and it's it's just again, it's it's this incredible, incredible presence that just she just calls you or not, she just she sucks you in. It's it's amazing. It's yeah. It's it's amazing.
1: I don't know more more great dialogue in that scene. She has a snide little comment about ah tunes to string her along by. Yeah. Really liked that one quite a lot. Or I think it's music to string her along by.
0: Um so uh I I was again in my in my watching um some of the supplemental material on on this film. Um they said that uh Billy Wilder liked to quote um Ernst Lubitsch by saying that uh a Ninety-five percent of a director's job is casting, and so uh, I. Uh, but here, so here's my question for you: Is what is so? I, I just said that McLean has the best performance in this movie, but what is the best casting choice? Is it Jack Lemmon, Shirley McLean, or Fred McMurray?
1: I think it's I think it's Lemmon because he is yeah. such an everyman. I mean, it's it's impossible not to. Just just by the very onset of casting him, he is such a lovable. Not, not so much a doofus in this movie, but he is a guy who is just trying to make ends meet and cry, climb that corporate ladder sort of any way that he can, and you can't help but like feel for him. You don't, We don't necessarily know right away. We get a little bit of background about how the situation came about, but you do really feel for him. Man, this guy is in way over his head. You, know, yeah. you feel that immediately. We have no idea how long this has been going on and the strain that it's putting on his life, but he still is despite all of that sort of weight that's on him about the disruption in his home life and how he's trying to use leverage that not maliciously but how he's trying to use that to to get ahead in the world he still has a sort of charm about him i love there's a moment that i i really love at the beginning of the film when he's doing his monologue and talking about how if you lined up all the people in new york they would reach you know india or wherever it reaches and yeah, and he's he's giving you all these stats and all these numbers, and it's a little overwhelming at first. But you can tell this is a man that really cares about his job, really does love his work, and and you know you see him putting in the overtime. Obviously, we find out he's putting in the overtime <laughs> because he can't go home. Yeah, <laughs> but you get you get the sense that he is the type of go getter that may do that anyway. And sure. he does the little thing with his typewriter where he bobs along, he bobs his head with the rhythm of the typewriter, which I think I'm is so that's glad he brought such that up. A, this this is a movie, and I think Billy Wilder's strength is his attention to detail and those little throwaway moments.
0: Well, you know, and I, I I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna go. I'm. How, what do I want to say? I'm gonna take what you said and just vary that a little bit because a lot of what I saw, and this is something else I want to bring up, but I won't do it yet. But um, what I what I had heard, what what everybody had said was that um. With with Billy Wilder scripts, and we've heard this before with other with other uh, writers as well. But you cannot deviate from the text at all. There were stories about um, uh, uh, Hope Holiday getting a line wrong. Instead of saying like a Chihuahua, she said kind of like a Chihuahua. And then one of the scenes with Shirley MacLaine in the elevator they had to do a bunch of times because she couldn't get it ex- like word perfect. Now I'm gonna come back to that in a second, but. I don't think we. I don't think I can give Billy Wilder credit for those details. I think that's Jack Lemmon. I think Jack Lemmon not being able to riff found these these ways to be funny to to ad lib physically. And since he wasn't changing the text, he's not fucking with what Wilder and Diamond are doing. He's just going okay. It's it's like it's again. I'm sorry. I'm gonna go back to me being a teacher. But it's like it's this idea of when you're a director and you and you. You give a you give a, a piece of direction to an actor, and what you do is you put them in a box, and instead of looking at that box as something that's enclosing you and like now all my choices are gone, instead as an actor, what you need to do is go okay. So this is this is the parameters I get to work in, but there's but there's so much room within that that I can I, I can figure out to add something like for example we've got the scene where Baxter goes up to Sheldrick's office and he's sick and he's basically finding out oh wait this guy wants to use my apartment too and we get that really funny bit of stage business where he squeezes the nasal spray and it shoots across the room not in the script and, and if you watch if you read anything about this movie or watch it you, that's that's a pretty famous thing they, they reference which is, which is that he put milk in the in the nasal spray and did it didn't tell anybody he was going to do it and that's the take that's in the film but that's an actor going, "Okay, I can't change the script. So I'm going to do whatever I can to add my own my own charm, my own my own brand of comedy to it." And that's I think where he really shines is those that moment, I'm so glad you mentioned the moment with the typewriter or the little adding machine. And there's another one too where he's watching Grand Hotel and they keep saying each star. He's like, "Oh." "Oh." Oh, and each each name—it's like oh, well, hot damn! This is going to be a delight. Um, yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Those little those little fucking things, and that's I want to go back to what what I was saying about what Wilder said about a director's job being ninety-five percent casting, which of course is kind of an overstatement. But I mean, you get somebody like Jack Lemon, he's going to give you this gold.
1: Absolutely, I I think Lemon Lemon definitely deserves all the praise that we can heap upon him. I I have a problem. I well I have sort of I don't I don't know because I'm not an actor so I can't speak to it firsthand but I theoretically have a problem with directors that are that precious about their material and can't allow for you know just subtle changes in dialogue everything has to be word perfect no you can't ad-lib this you can't sort of improvise that that to me is not indicative of a collaborative environment if an actor has an idea or, or hey i want to change this word because i feel like this flows better it's 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 more indicative of my character to say it this way i feel like a director should be open to that and it it's led me this little two week journey that we've been on with billy wilder has uh i'm going to pull the rug out now has led me to believe that i think we need to reevaluate billy wilder as a director because like last week i was not engaged in this film as engaged by this film as i wanted to be And I think think this is a first watch for me. And I think labeling it as a comedy, massive mistake. This is Uh, not a comedy. This is a drama that happens to have some, you know, some cute moments in it or some some little funny asides that happen here or there. Because all the time, like, my notes are riddled with, when is this movie going to be a comedy?
0: Yeah, that's... That and and it's funny that we're we're kind of on this Billy Wilder train, which is like I I don't consider Sunset Boulevard to be a noir, and it, it took me a while to sort of like put that to the side because uh, because I don't think it's noir. Um, and th- and this is only a second watch uh, for me. Um, and and that's the thing is is it's it's not a comedy, you know, and there are I like I do think that the uh, the bit where. He he's at the office and he's sick and he's trying to reschedule all of the people who are going to come to his place. Like I do think that's a funny a funny moment in the movie. Yeah, that's, that's but, a
1: funny bit and it's it's great it's great writing. It's great performances from everybody that's involved. My what I'm starting to realize my problem with Billy Wilder is like I mentioned when we were talking at Stalag Seventeen is that everybody reveres him for this guy that was able to balance comedy and drama so well. And I'm thinking to myself well well did he though cuz he never in in the films that i've seen of his he he seems to have a problem doing it in the same scene like you have very much okay this scene is comedy this scene is drama this scene is comedy now back to drama he's not and of course i'm i'm sure his goal was to never be as sort of poignant and biting as somebody and of course there's there's several decades in aesthetically different a lot of aesthetic differences between them but he's no martin mcdonough when it comes to balancing comedy and drama
0: sure i mean yes that's that's true um but I, i i don't know and it's hard because i can't i i can't change the way that you viewed it as like as a comedy um and i i'm not you know, when I when I watched the first time, it was probably two or three years ago, and I, I'm not sure what I thought it was going to be before I watched it. I, I That's the thing, too, is like, and I, I know, I, you know, it's so funny because we, we do a film podcast and we and we, do, we both do different kinds of research and we both spend time on each film. But like, I don't do any research on a film that I haven't seen before I watch it. I, I can't. Well, see,
1: and, it, and neither do I. I'll, I'll I'll get some of my I'll get some of my stats ahead of time, like you know, just who's in it and the awards and yeah. the Rotten Tomatoes and, and and things like that. I won't grab, you know, I won't grab any piece of review until after I've seen the film. I won't go digging for any tidbits about how they made it or anything like that. But I did see, obviously, when you you open this film, it's streaming on Prime as of recording this film. So if you have a Prime subscription, you can see it there. I mean, they they label it first and foremostly, it's a comedy. That's yeah. the very first genre tag that it has, and I think that's that, that's just fundamentally wrong. This film is not a comedy. Well, and I not I a comedy wish, per se. It, like I said, it has funny moments in it. Yeah,
0: I wish that I that there was more of a disclaimer because again, in in the things that I watch about this film. A lot. What a lot of people talked about was that the year, because the year before this is *Some Like It Hot*, and this this big success. You know, uh, Jack Lemmon gets an Oscar nomination, and it's like Billy Wilder could do anything next, and people are anticipating another comedy like *Some Like It Hot*, and instead he does this this movie that at its core is about uh, 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 marital stress and and infidelity and. And the inappropriate things we do to get ahead and and suicide. And that's see, it's this, about that's some the really moment
1: where I rewired my brain and went, Okay, forget everything that you thought that you were you were expecting about this film the, the take that comedy tag away, everything like that. Once the suicide attempt happens, I'm like, Okay, now I know what this film is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I yeah, I think it's important to to know that this isn't some like it hot, and I, I'm not saying that to you. I'm just that's sort of just out in in the open. But you know, historically, I think that's what people were expecting with some like it hot part two, which this is not. It is a totally different kind of film.
1: And that, and it's a decision. It's a decision that I respect. I, I, as I said, I, I love that he he seemed like he was a guy that knew how to manipulate expectations, and you know, as I said, he wasn't afraid of of doing things that would perhaps turn the industry on its ear um i think the suicide sequence stuff is for me that's some of the best stuff in the movie my unsung hero of the film is is dr dreyfus he, you know, and he is, he's really, he's, as much as I love Jack Lemon, as much as I love Shirley MacLaine, like, he, at that point in this, because I was, I was starting to tap out at that point, you know what I mean? Like, the the plot is starting to drag a little bit. I had the same problem with Sunset Villabart. I think, I think Wilder had a little bit of trouble with his second acts in some of the movies of his that I've seen. And, and this is this is the same again. This movie is, is too long. This movie is a good 15 minutes longer than it needs to be. It does really belabor the point with, with a few things, but the suicide scene or the attempted suicide scene is where the film really started to pull me back in. And a lot of that is based on Dreyfus's performance.
0: Um, yeah, he's, he's great. I, it's so funny. I, I, I thought about him, but in a way my, so I, I had two potential unsung heroes. Um one which isn't my choice, but I what I, I really like the idea of it is uh Daniel Mandel, who was the editor on the film, and I really like this idea of um what I what I heard was that Billy Wilder would shoot with Mandel on the set, um, and he would help he would help um frame shots. And that way, uh when when they would shoot and get everything to the editing room, there was very little to cut in terms of like uh, not not material, but just how to put things together because uh, he was there as they were shooting, which I think is really' a, a smart thing to do. Um, but my unsung hero, I'm actually gonna give to Mrs. Dreyfus her one real scene with uh, um, with Fran in, in the morning. It's great. I, I think she she comes in, she's like batting a thousand, she just fucking like knocks it out of the park. I think that I, so I think collectively, the Dreyfuses really are the
1: the unsung heroes of this film. Oh, no, he, he 100, uh, uh, Jack Crucian, he 100% saves this film for me in that going into that last, you know, the third act of the movie anyway. Because um, we, we get to him in the bar, he's, he's. Oh, you know, Jack Lemon is drinking, that stuff is kind of, that's for me, again, like I said, that's where I'm starting to tap out a little bit. I'm like, I'm, come that, on, guys, let's get to the point, let's, you know, we get it, he's depressed, come on, let's move along, let's have, let's have some... Fucking conflict in this movie
0: thank you for bringing that up because i i really like this movie and i i don't think there's much to cut honestly but the the addition of mrs mcdougall and that whole thing about castro and whatever the fuck's going on there
1: like her husband her husband is a jockey who is in cuba who tried to fix a horse race and so castro like threw him in gently why do we need this We don't. we don't like, like you like to say, what kind of, what story are we telling?
0: Yeah. And, and I get that. We need to see, we need to see Jack lemon drunk. He he's definitely drowning his sorrows. The woman that he is starting to have real feelings for is, is sleeping with his boss. And he knows that his boss is kind of a a pile of shit, uh, but he can't say anything about it because it's his boss. And I get that. And I, I love the, I love the moral dilemma that that puts him in. Um, and I get that having having her there um, th- at the apartment eventually when he com- when she comes back them throws in a, like a little interesting funny wrench that lasts only a few moments. but Billy Wilder and and, uh, and I, IAL Diamond are smart enough people that they could have they could have found a better way to sort of get him in that predica- in that sort of uh, interesting predicament. Um, and I-, I agree that that's that's four or five minutes of the of stuff with her that just needs to not be in this film
1: see i for me that what what i wanted to happen there is i wanted lemon to really start to stand up for himself a little bit more because he really he doesn't do it until the final scene i just he, the, the character is there's there's a weakness about him that is is frustrating for me the fact that this man either can't or won't stand up for himself and when he does it Obviously, he does it too. Now I get that. That's yes. This, you argue that is the kind of the point of his character, but it, it feels like when he does finally stand up to Sheldrake, it's almost too little, too late.
0: Yeah, I would have, I would have liked more defiance. You know, I there's the scene. Uh, it's 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 after the suicide attempt. It's I think it's it's the next day or, or a couple of days after, and she's still at his place, and Sheldrake calls from work and basically he's checking in but he doesn't really want to talk to her and 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 uh Baxter is like pleading no 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 you gotta you gotta do it and then so he basically says okay so Shadwick's gonna stay on." and then and then Baxter goes to Fran and it's like hey he wants to talk to you and she's like no no I don't want to do that and it's like I I I don't it 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 doesn't make me uh hate the performance of the storytelling but it's like yeah you want to scream it's like dude these people don't want to talk to each other. You you don't need to put them on the phone. And by putting them on the phone, what what ultimately happens? And I think he's convinced that that's that's not going to work out. And there's that scene where he's planning what he's going to say to Sheldrick when he gets up to his office, and then Sheldrick flips it on him immediately. I'm gonna I'll take Fran off your hands. And it's like it's crushing because it's like if he could just if he could just get a little bit of courage or a, just something to, to do. And I agree. I do think that the, the standing up happens, unfortunately too late into the film, but it, it is still a moment that has to happen.
1: And he will. And he doesn't even really get a fuck you moment not to, you know, cause he, he drops the key and then kind of walks away. He doesn't get to be like, this is the, you know, you know, this is the the key to the executive washroom. That's, you know, the only key you know you're ever going to I I don't know. I'm sort of hypothesizing a a more dramatic conclusion, but he just kind of gives up, think, throws the key down and kind of just walks away from the situation.
0: But I think a more dramatic confrontation it wouldn't fit into to his character. It would it would feel disingenuous, and that's why I really like the you know, again, and it, and maybe maybe you were ahead of the game, but like I, I do like this idea that you know every movie's a mystery that we shouldn't know what's going to be happen next, and that when he gives him the key, his face registers like, oh shit, he fucking gave him the key to his apartment, and then when he comes, he's like, wait, what is he doing? And then he comes back, hey, wait, no, this is the key to the executive washroom. It's like, yeah, yeah I know, I, like that is that that's that's Baxter's version of a fuck you. He, he would never say fuck you, but that's his best right. version of doing it. <laughs>
1: But I, yeah, as, as you said, with being ahead of the game, I did feel like it was a foregone conclusion. Oh, because of how much time we spend with them, and this is the, the, some of the stuff that really drags the movie for me, is her recovery from the attempted suicide attempt. There's, we spend so much time with them in that apartment. That it's it's a kind of a foregone conclusion that the movie is gonna end with them together. I don't I don't feel like there's any kind of great mystery about how this film is gonna end, and so I just just a little more dramatic punch, a little more tension, a little more conflict is is kind of again, I'm I'm wanting stuff that was never in the script to begin with, and probably <laughs> never Billy Wilder's intention, but it just it just not It's it's at the same time too much of one thing and not enough of another for me
0: and and maybe too you mentioned tension and 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 what you wanted the story to be and and it's hard i I think now i'm playing it like into the history of film but it's i think again for what they could get away with uh with the production code and, and it's starting to get a you know not not lenient but maybe maybe more lenient and the fact that they could even have a film where you know they're discussing infidelity and 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 basically you know guys getting away with it without any consequences i think i think is an, is an interesting take on on how how to do it
1: and and, and which is great again it's another thing that I, I very much respect i mean it is it's in the the sort of trivia about this film that i think he wanted to make this after sunset boulevard but then had to wait for censorship to sort of tone down a little bit so he did wait the better part of 10 years to make it but when you you're saying you're talking about you know guys getting away with it the other thing that was a big disappointment to me is there's not enough from the other side of that I mean we get plenty of time with Fran and what it does to her and how it literally almost destroys her world but we also don't see anything from the wife's point of view which I found to be kind of frustrating you I know, wanted a little I, bit more I, I wanted a bit more of that home life as well to see See more of the lying and seeing what it is that these guys have to do in order to get to the apartment with these, you know, extramarital affairs, these floozies or or whoever it is they're cheating on their wives with. I mean, there's really only really the only other character. And I think for me, the uh my my thankless role in this film is the woman that plays uh, Mrs. Olsen.
0: Yeah. Edie Adams.
1: Edie Adams. Thank you. She she does have a couple of really great moments in the movie you know she talks about how you know dumped her four years ago but kept her on as a secretary so she's had to watch the parade of new ones yeah. it's just like that that moment is so good i was like i again I, being greedy i want more of that
0: yeah i mean but the movie's not about her not,
1: yeah exactly <laughs> not 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 necessarily the story that we're telling but it, it's a scene, it's a piece of writing that's so good that I'm like, oh, man, if you could have stuck with that idea and followed that thread a little bit. Because, I mean, like I said, the film is over long as it is. So what's another 10 minutes?
0: Sure, sure. Um, and yeah, and yeah, you were talking about sort of the, the genesis of this movie, uh, that idea coming from David Lean's uh, adaptation of the Noel Coward play Brief Encounter. And the, I, I do and that's something the inspiration of the film is, is really cool. I, I like you know, that he watched this movie and goes, "Huh, I wonder what the life of the guy who lends the apartment is." And like I don't know. I, I just something about how simple of an idea that that was, um, I, I just find really, really interesting.
1: Well, I also loved the bit of history as far as the backstory. He was also inspired by a 1951 Hollywood scandal, the yes. uh, a high-powered agent, Jennings Lang. Uh, was shot, he wasn't killed, but he was shot in the thigh and in the groin, which sounds extremely painful, uh, by a producer named <laughs> Walter Wanger. Uh, because he thought, he's and he's a guy, very famous producer, he produced Stagecoach and Cleopatra. Um, he thought that uh, Jennings was having an affair with his wife, who was an actress uh, in a movie that you watched not that long ago, Father of the Bride, Joan Bennett. Hey! Uh, yeah, and... Uh, and again, what happened is that Lang was using a low-level employee's apartment for the affairs.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I, I
1: and, and I went on, and I actually read quite a bit about this guy and what happened. He served four months for it. He was actually welcomed with open arms back into the industry. Actually, as I said, he made Cleopatra, which would, was like 62 or 63, so he made that massive movie after all of this had went down. And I guess... Uh, I guess this wasn't the first time something like this had happened. He also tried to go after Errol Flynn because he thought Errol Flynn was having an affair with her as well. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm just reading about that. And I was like, fuck, no. I, now that I've read that, I'm more interested in seeing that movie. Sure,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any favorite shots or favorite scenes you want to show any love to?
1: Well, I don't... The cinematography didn't, unlike last week's Sunset Boulevard I didn't really find anything totally extraordinary about the cinematography so I don't necessarily have a favorite shot I mean there's there's little bits of business that I love like I mentioned with him bobbing his head along to the adding machine or the typewriter I love the I love the bowler hat kind of thing that he's doing which is really the only uh only moment in the film that we have a balancing comedy and drama within the same scene yeah. as opposed to as I mentioned earlier, having one scene which is one thing and followed by another scene which is another um, i think I think my favorite bit of plot twist my favorite, some of my I've already mentioned some of my favorite lines like the mascara but uh, a moment that I really love in the film is where the other shoe drops when she lends him the broken mirror to look yeah. at you know, that 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 scene that I'm talking about where he's doing the business with the bowler hat and he realizes the connection between himself and Fran and Sheldrake. And and he gets to you know the look on his face, the the acting the, the that acting beat from Jack Lemon there is just fantastic, absolutely heartbreaking when we realise just how well, Just how he's he's never he's never gonna get what he wants is how yeah, I'm feeling and at that point. That's why that
0: him. that whole Christmas party scene I really like because obviously we get we have Miss Olsen who explains like she, she you know that I I know what's going on. Oh yeah, it's always the same booth in the same Chinese restaurant and 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 so we've got like a defeated um, uh, we've got a defeated Fran and then you know she's trying to keep her spirits up he's doing the whole bowler hat thing. And then we get the mirror. It's like, now we've got two crushed people, but crushed for different reasons. And it's, it's, it leads to some of the most interesting stuff on screen. I, I and, and I wanna, in terms of favorite shots, I, this isn't necessarily a camera thing, but I, I really, really love it's towards the end of the movie. And, um, uh, Baxter hasn't quit yet. And, um, he's downstairs and Fran's leaving because you know this it would be weird for her to work there now that she's going to be with him and she's like you know what are you doing I was like oh I'm, I'm actually going to go I'm gonna I'm going out with that lady over there and Fran leaves and we see him walk towards her and another guy comes out of nowhere and kind of wraps her up and, and walks and he keeps going that
1: that's good I do like that scene a lot
0: that's fucking i really love that bit that little bit of stage well it's not stage business but what that blocking there is great i love that a lot
1: well and there is a there's a callback which happens in the film that i i do it did really make me chuckle when it happened is that um at the Christmas party, yeah, he he says I've only had three, but holds up four fingers. Well, later <laughs> yeah. in the apartment, when she's talking about her, you know, her relationship history, she says three guys, but holds up four fingers. <laughs> that's 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 quite a good little callback. I do enjoy that. I mean, this is this is again, man. This is another case like Sunset Boulevard. Like I know that I should love this film. It's got a lot of. It ticks a lot of box, a lot of things that I I like. I was just not. I was just not engaged. By a lot of things, and you've been talking about Fred McMurray. How much you like? Again, he's like the William Holden of Sunset Boulevard. I just found him to be kind of flat and uninteresting. He yeah, I, I mean, he serves he serves his part, but he doesn't really do anything memorable in it for me.
0: And but I think that's I, I and that's the tough thing too is I, because I think I think what what Fred McMurray does is he brings a charm to the smarminess, which which makes him like. you know when he when because like there are parts where we already know that he has no real intentions of leaving his wife even though that ultimately happens but not because of anything that he wanted to do um but there are like we we know he's not gonna do it and the way that we see him convince Fran that no 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 blah blah it's like he really is convincing and then there's like the moments where he's talking to to Baxter in his office like you take a girl out for a few nights a week and all of a sudden she thinks that you know you're going to leave your wife and it's just like I really liked what he was doing and I also think just that his what it, I you know and I because I read that he he was he was working for Disney and and uh that his general like his persona at the time was a lovable good guy and that doing this role he had to be convinced kind of because it was against his type and famously he was at Disneyland doing some promotional stuff. And a woman came up after saying this movie, and called him a horrible man and hit him with her purse. And, and that's all great. That's all funny stuff. But like, I don't know, man. I, and I, I can't even say I'm a, again, I I've seen double indemnity and I've seen this, but I, I like me some Fred McMurray and that, well, that he's, bastard, he's great. He he's he great in double indemnity. That's a, that's a, that is a beautiful man in his fifties right there.
1: got a, got, a, got a little man crush on Fred McMurray there.
0: He is a tall drink of water, my friend.
1: No, <laughs> well, apparently not not always a nice guy. There was that scene where he's having his shoe shined in his uh, in his office, and they were having tr- he was having trouble flicking the flicking the quarter <laughs> to the guy, and and you know thanking him for doing the shoe shine or whatever. And and uh, I think Wilder said to him, "Well, if you're having trouble with quarter, why don't you use a fifty cent piece?" He's like, "Oh my God, no! I would never give him that much money."
0: Yeah, that. That hasn't aged well.
1: <laughs> no, that's it's not great, not great.
0: <laughs> um. Well, shit, man. I I I don't know that I have a, a whole lot more that I that I want to say.
1: I mean, do you? I I don't know that I was totally out of left field when I am talking. But did you did you feel the same in Sunset Boulevard? Did you feel a little bit of trouble? As far as sag in the in the second act leading into the third act, because that's that's a lot of my problem. There's the pacing in this film is not great.
0: I don't I I don't think that I did, and I and I think I think that I I, I really liked I think I just really liked all the dialogue so much, and and even though this I had seen this movie before, I I, I think I'd forgotten how and when information came out. Um, and I just I I don't know I, I I was in it from the beginning and and even when it, I guess I I guess I never felt like it was wavering besides the point with the lady in the bar that that stuff which I think you should just remove from this film um, yeah just take
1: I, take her character out wholesale and it's yeah. definitely a better film it's a tighter film I I she takes she takes up damn near five to ten minutes of screen time uh,
0: yeah I don't know I I I was just in it. I was in it.
1: I don't know man. So, do so you wanna, I guess do I you gotta, do question. Well I'm not Ian, I'm not gonna fall into that trap again, man. Do you think that that the apartment should be in the book? Uh my my answer is no. God, I'm you gonna, are I'm just gonna a- be controversial and say no. But here hey, I got I got some good news. I got some pleasant news for you. I guess. I, I didn't go on much as much of a, a Billy Wilder deep dive as I wanted to. Obviously I, I spoke about my hatred of Stalag like seventeen. But <laughs> I would replace I would replace the apartment with another Billy Wilder film and a film that I think is even though it didn't get all the Oscar love that the apartment did, it didn't make the Oscar history that the apartment did, but it is a film that does have quite a historical significance. And the reason for that is it is the very first pairing of Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. Six years later, he made a film with them called The Fortune Cookie. Now, The Fortune Cookie is also streaming on Prime, so if anybody listening to this is going to watch The Apartment, and they can then turn around and they can watch The Fortune Cookie. Uh, that film, that is a comedy, and it is genuinely one of the funniest damn things I have ever seen. Absolutely love this film. Matthau and Lemon. I mean, it was clear from the start that these guys... We're gonna have a very long partnership, and it was important that they stay together and keep doing what they did because they play off each other so beautifully. And Walter Matthau, he actually got a uh, he got a supporting actor Oscar for this film for for playing the character that you know, he plays a a kind of smarmy lawyer. He's brother-in-law to the Jack Lemmon character, Jack Lemmon in the Fortune Cookie, is a CBS cameraman. So the film opens at a um, Minnesota Vikings and Cleveland Browns if I get that name right. Th- those are
0: both right. NFL teams.
1: Yeah, I don't know anything about your sports ball. I watch shut a the, real men's game. Shut the I watch fuck rugby. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't sports radio. <laughs> um anyway, so he's a he's a CBS cameraman. There's this character Boom Boom Jackson who is the star of the Cleveland Browns. He ends up taking out the cameraman. And uh Jack Lemmon, of course, you know, he's concussed quite badly. They take him to the hospital. But his brother-in-law, who is played by Walter Matthau, sees this as an opportunity. And so they start, you know, exaggerating all of the the sort of symptoms. And they have him in this, like, complete corset back brace thing. They talk about nerve damage and all of that. And they're trying to sue CBS and the NFL and, and anybody they can for... I don't know, a million dollars or half a million dollars, whatever it is that they want. There is some absolutely banging dialogue uh, in this movie. And, I, and actually a callback to the apartment, a couple of callbacks to the apartment in this film as well. There's a there's a line, I think Dr. Dreyfus says it in uh, the apartment. He says, you know, live for now, diner's club, or something like that. He, he makes that reference, and I, Walter Mathau does the same thing. Or actually, no, it's... Um, it's, a, it's, a doctor, it's another doctor in Fortune Cookie that makes the same sort of diner's club crack. And they also, they talk about they're going to sue Consolidated Insurance, the company from the apartment. Oh. <laughs> so these films kind of exist in the same world. But That's- I gotta tell you, man, it's just, it's it's got better pacing. It's funnier. It also does have some dramatic stuff in it as well because uh, Jack Lemmon is using this as an opportunity to try and get back with his wife who left him for a band leader and she's got sort of aspirations of being this sort of you know club singer this big star so she now when she finds out she wants to get back with him and get back get in on this scheme as well to get the 20 grand that she needs to set herself up in a studio and with a band and i don't know there's some there's a lot of I Walter Matthau really does show how much of a star he was going to be in this film. He does some incredible things with his with his face and his body language. He's able to rip through dialogue and then dead stop almost on a dime. Just the way that I don't know how familiar you are with with Walter Matthau as a performer.
0: I'm a little bit.
1: Yeah, he's just he's just had one of those incredible faces. I mean, I feel like Walter Matthau is one of those guys that could have been born at any point in the history of entertainment whether it be now or way back in the vaudeville days and he would have he would have shone wherever he landed of course their 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 chemistry is just incredible which is why they went on to make i don't know like 12 or 13 films together
0: yeah very true very true
1: so there it is that's i would i would take the apartment out i i recognize its historical importance and there are, again, like Sunset Boulevard, a lot of things I appreciated about it, but also a lot of things I didn't. So I would replace it with another Billy Wilder film, The Fortune Cookie. Adam, I'm going to assume that we have a similar decision as we had last week.
0: You are correct. I, I, I think that The Apartment should be in the book. I I think it should be in the book more than Sunset Boulevard should be in the book. Um, I, I personally love that this movie doesn't really fit into a genre. I, I, I like the pacing. I, I like, you know, that it's, I, I know that it's maybe misrepresented as a comedy, but I, I like the movie for what it is. I think the performances are great. I think, um, the storytelling is great. Uh, and besides, honestly, like for, from my point of view, the one little flaw of the, the Mrs. McDougal character and the bar, um, which I think is pretty forgivable. I think the rest of the movie is, is top notch. And um, again, me just being the Oscar nerd that I am, I movies like this don't often win best picture. And I, I think that's, 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 that's pretty awesome. Uh, really the last, and, and you know, you can, you can say whatever, but you know, one of the last true black and white films to win best picture, I do realize that Schindler's list and the artist did win, but this was back in the day where they, they broke down the technical categories between color and black and white. Um, and you know, so just a little bit of history there too. And I, I don't know, man, this is, I just, yeah, I love, I love this movie. I, I think it's cute and charming, but dark and serious. And I, I, I think it tackles big themes, but does it in a way that's digestible. So if you don't want to watch a set, like a really serious, heavy film, you can watch this instead.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I I think, I think my final takeaway is that I kind of feel like I, I do, I do recognize the quality of this film, but I think, I think its place in history, especially its place in awards history, has overshadowed the quality of it.
0: Well, I think you're nuts, but I love the it, anyway.
1: it happens. It happens from time to time.
0: <laughs> so that is what we think of the apartment we're going to leave Billy Wilder for I would say a good amount of time uh, but we want to know what you think of the apartment what you think of Billy Wilder so please find us on Facebook and on Twitter hit us up let us know your thoughts um, you can find us on on Facebook and on Twitter like I said you can listen to the show on Spotify and Stitcher Google Play Apple Podcasts and, and, and many many more if you want to support the show or recommend a film for us to discuss you can support us at patreon.com slash a thousand and one by one and stick around as again next week we will jump 10 years to 1970 another academy award nominated film um starring uh, just a wonderful actor uh by the name of jack nicholson and we will delve into what many people consider uh, uh one of his best performances but until then i am adam
1: and i am ian